John 15, 1 through 5, and also verse 8 as we wrap up. And surrounding this passage and the last of the I Am statements that Christ provides is a very heavy time for the disciples, for Jesus Christ. He's getting ready to go to the cross. So this last statement is also part of his last comments, his last words to the disciples before he goes to the cross and before he goes to his death. It's a very somber time. Jesus has just had his last Passover meal with his disciples where he's also instituted the the Lord's Supper, communion, for the first time. And he's also let them know about the new covenant. Judas has now gone off to betray Jesus, and he's left with the eleven. And they're making their way out of the upper room in Jerusalem to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's in that setting that Jesus says the words that we find here in John chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. When Jesus says, I am the true vine, in the immediate context here, he is contrasting himself with Israel, which God refers to several times in the Old Testament as his vineyard. God says in places like Psalm chapter 80, Isaiah 5, that he established Israel as his own vineyard that he planted in the world to provide spiritual truth for the world, to point people to himself. That was their purpose. But they didn't reach that purpose. They didn't fulfill it. So Jesus saying here, I am the true vine, contrasting himself with Israel, he is saying, I am uniquely, I am exclusively the embodiment and the fulfillment of all that Israel should be. And I say should be because Israel obviously, time and time again, did not faithfully carry out the mission that God had for them, the mission of being God's representative to the world, light in a dark place. That's what they were called to be, but they didn't do it. They failed to live up to that. Israel's continual pattern of sinfulness, lack of repentance, corruption, all through their history prevented them from being the faithful witness to the nations that God established them to be. But Jesus, Jesus is, of course, the complete opposite of all of that. Jesus is the true Israel. And he faithfully carries out all of his Father's purposes in a perfect way, completely, obediently, as only he can do. And Philippians 2 beautifully demonstrates that, where Paul goes into great detail talking about Christ lowering himself, taking on to himself humanity, becoming obedient to the point of death. And it's because of that that God highly exalted him, that at the name of Jesus every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. So in Jesus saying this, I am the true vine, he was correctly, rightly declaring himself to be the ultimate example of faithfulness. Aren't you glad he's the ultimate example of faithfulness? I need a faithful Savior. You need a faithful Savior. We find it in Jesus. He's the ultimate example of faithfulness. He's the ultimate picture of God's glory and truth that we need to see, that we need to know, and that we need to find. It's found in Jesus. And he is the ultimate source of power 
that his followers, all of his followers, the original ones here and us today, he is the source of power that we all need in order to be what he's called us to be, in order to do what he's called us to do. This is very important for us to understand and to remember because it is surprisingly easy, isn't it? Surprisingly easy to put all kinds of different things and different people in front of Jesus. It's so easy to try to find our fulfillment or our purpose from things, from people other than Jesus Christ. But we need to remember He is our main source for life, for purpose, for strength. And the reason it's so important to remember is because we can do that. We can put things in front of him with really good things. It's not just bad things. That's obvious. But we do this with really good things. We do this with things like family, as important and special as family is. And I love my family. I love my wife. I love my kids. I think being a husband and a dad is one of the greatest things that anyone could ever have given to them by God. It's an incredible privilege. Family's great. But if we put family in place of Jesus, then it becomes a bad thing. We take a good thing and we make it a bad thing. We take a good thing and we make it a God thing. And that's idolatry. We do that with family from time to time. We do that with our work. And it's good to work. It's great to have a job. We're called to provide for our families. We're called to be diligent in our work and faithful in our work. But if our work is elevated to the place of Jesus in our life, it's wrong. It's sin. It's idolatry. And it's not going to do us any good ultimately. It's going to leave us wanting. On and on I could go. We easily take good things and we try to make them the source of our purpose, the source of our life, the source of our strength instead of Jesus Christ. And it never ever works. All those things, family, work, hobbies, whatever, they're incapable, incapable of providing us the ability to live out the calling and the mission that we have as Christ's ambassadors to the world, which is exactly what it means to be a Christian, by the way. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul talks about that. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation, and as a new creation, you've been entrusted the ministry of reconciliation. That's you, that's me, if you're in Christ. He's given us the task of being the ambassadors of salvation to the rest of the world once we have received his salvation. And to do that, to be a faithful ambassador, we have to have the power that comes only from Christ. So he is the true vine. He's everything we need. He was the true vine for his disciples in this context, and he's the true vine for all of us today. That makes him vital vital for our spiritual health and our spiritual effectiveness. In verse 2, looking back at the text here, Jesus goes on and he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, the vine dresser, the Father, God the Father, takes away. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, so that it may bear more fruit. Now, to be clear, I want you to hear me on this. Make no mistake. Jesus is not, is not describing a loss of salvation in this verse and in this context. Very often, people who 
believe in the ability to lose salvation, who do not accept eternal security, they will elevate this verse, they will hold this verse up as their proof text, and they'll say, see, see, Jesus is saying, salvation's not secure forever, it's not eternal, there's things you can do to lose it. That is not what Jesus is describing here. Rather, he is describing two different branches and two different categories of people, okay? Two different branches and two categories of people are on display here in his statement in verse 2. Tragically, some people pretend to be Christians but have no real connection to Christ. And some can fool themselves into a false sense of security that's tied to many different things but not to Christ himself and a personal saving faith and relationship with him. We know people like that. You've dealt with people like that. You might have people in your family like that, people you work with that fall into that category. Maybe you were like that at one point. You know, it's people that might actually go to church, might even regularly go to church. Hey, they might even be involved in a Bible study. They might even be fluent in Christianese, right? Like they've got the lingo down. They, they know what to say and how to say it. That's actually not that hard to do. Just spend a little bit of time around church people. Spend a little bit of time in that culture and you'll start to kind of pick up a thing or two. You can, unfortunately, lull yourself into a false sense of security. It's tied to many different things without being tied to Christ himself. You know, so, so there's people like that that we can relate to, that we know about, that we have had experience dealing with. People that either are pretending, they know they're not a Christian and it's all a pretense, or people who believe they are a Christian, but they aren't because they never committed to Christ alone, not in a personal way. So that means they're not genuine branches in the vine because they never truly committed their life to Jesus alone. Trusting in him and his sacrifice alone as the only means of their salvation. And along this same line, with this same concept, Jesus paints a very chilling picture in his statement found in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. In Matthew 7, 21 through 23, he says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In other words, that's the one. That's the type of people who will enter heaven, the ones who do the will of my Father. And this can be connected right back to the reason for the Father's action here at the beginning of verse 2 in John 15. And we also will see this echoed in verse 8 as we wrap up. Same concept. On that day... Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And Jesus' response here, oh, it, it really should just give you chills. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. You didn't know me. I didn't know you. Here's the result. Depart 
from me, you workers of lawlessness. One of the most chilling and depressing passages in all of the Bible, but true. A truth that we need to all understand. It's very important to understand. It's very important to consider. To put it very simply, the difference on display in John 15.2 is that of professing and possessing. Professing versus possessing. It's a difference between those who profess and who only profess to be saved and those that genuinely possess salvation by trusting 100% in Jesus alone as Savior and Lord. That's the difference on display here. And fruit-bearing is the litmus test. Fruit-bearing is the litmus test. It's the clearest example of the genuineness of one's faith and real salvation or the lack thereof if no fruit is seen or evidenced. In other words, fruit-bearing is a double clarification. It clarifies if one is truly part of the vine as a genuine branch, if one is truly saved, genuine faith that leads to salvation. It shows that, that the fruit that's born out of one's life. Or if there's no fruit, if there's no fruit visible and observable in someone's life, it is also a clarification. It's a clarification that no matter what they say, no matter how they may look, Salvation is not genuinely there. It all comes back to the bearing of the fruit. And that, my friends, is why it is so important for us to do some spiritual self-evaluation. It's why it's important to make sure that our faith is exclusively in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and that our life shows it, that our life bears witness to that. You know, we're very careful to make sure we do self-evaluations medically or to get checked out medically to make sure there's nothing wrong that we're not missing, right? But so often, we don't do that spiritually. And if more people did that spiritually, if more people evaluated themselves spiritually, where does my heart lie? What is my faith really in? Was there ever a time where I abandoned everything else that I might have been looking to or holding on to And I looked exclusively to Jesus Christ. And I committed my whole person to Him. Was there ever a time I did that? What am I trusting? And to also ask, what is my life showing? Does my life have spiritual fruit on display? Can I I point to something in my life that shows I'm different? That shows I've been made new? That shows I'm bearing fruit for the kingdom? Can other people look at my life and see that? If more people did that, then less people would be deceived. Less people would be convinced of something that was not actually true in their life to begin with. The proof is in the fruit. The proof is in the fruit. In Galatians 5, 19 through 23, the Apostle Paul provides a very, very clear contrast between the fruit of the flesh or unregenerated life. That's really what the fruit of the flesh is is connected to an unregenerated life, he contrasts that with the fruit of the Spirit, which will always be a foundational part of a genuinely regenerated life. Here's what he says in Galatians 5, 19-23. Now the works of the flesh 
that's the unregenerated life, are evident, are obvious. Here's what they are. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He, you know, he says, I think you get the point. Things like these. I warn you, he says, as I warned you before. This is not the first time. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do, and that means habitually, continually practice these things. This is the pattern of their life. This is who they are. This is what defines them. That's what he means by do these things. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, not because they were saved and now they lost their salvation because they decided to sin in this way. No, rather because people who live in this way, people whose life is defined by those things, cannot, cannot, cannot be saved. That's what he means by this statement. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God because they were never part of the kingdom of God to begin with. But, here's the contrast, but the fruit of the Spirit, which again is foundational to a regenerated life, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. There's certainly laws about all the things that are part of the Uh, fruit of the flesh, right? The works of the flesh. There's no law against the things of the fruit of the Spirit. And it's that fruit that will mark a genuine branch that's connected to the vine. That fruit is what the Father is looking for. That fruit is what the Father, as the ultimate gardener, looks at with with the vine, His Son, and he, He inspects it, and He says, what's bearing fruit, what's not? If there's, if there's a branch that's bearing fruit, that's good. And I'm going to make sure it bears even more. I'm going I'm to prune away things that are keeping it from reaching its maximum growth potential. That's because it's, he's a good God. He's a good gardener. That's what God does with us. That does not mean that it's comfortable or pleasant. Pruning is it's going to hurt. It's going to be a little uncomfortable. But it's always going to result in more fruit in our lives. He looks at the branches that he sees that are not bearing any fruit, and he says, well, that's, that's not something that, that marks a disciple of my son. That's not something that's a, a product of a branch who is genuinely connected to the vine. And so he gets rid of it. He gets rid of it. The proof is in the fruit. Genuine saving faith. Genuine saving faith and bearing spiritual fruit go hand in hand. They will always be connected. Always. It's the same principle that's in James 2 when it comes to faith and works. Remember James talks about that at length in James chapter 2. He says, you might say that you have faith. Well, show me the works in your life to back up your claim because faith without works is useless and dead. It's the same principle here. Saving faith results in and produces righteous works. That's how true saving faith is verified or validated and it's the same with bearing spiritual fruit and we'll see this echoed again in verse 8 that's what he's talking about in verse 2 that's the concept and the point of verse 2 that Jesus says here let's look back at the text 
Let's look at verses 3 through 5. Jesus says this, You, speaking to his 11 disciples, because remember Judas has already left him, he's already betrayed him, he showed himself to not be a genuine branch. That's really the context surrounding this dialogue. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And it's because that is true that he says what he does in verse 4. Abide in me. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So here's what I want you to do. Here's what you need to do. Abide in me, Jesus says, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. There's that statement of deity again. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The branches are always, always dependent on the vine for their life. It's always how it works. You look at every grapevine and you look at every branch that's bearing fruit. They're always going to be dependent on the vine for their life and for the ability to bear fruit, to bring about fruit. Because the branches by themselves, here's a little science lesson, branches by themselves can't actually produce fruit. It's not what happens. The branch of of any plant, of of any vine, it doesn't produce the fruit. It can't actually do that. It's their connection to the vine that allows them to have fruit. That's how it works. The branch's connection to the vine enables the branch to bear fruit. It does the producing. The vine does the producing through the branches. The vine does the producing. The vine brings about life through the branches. And the same is true for all believers in Christ. The same is true for us. What that means for us is that we have to remain totally, utterly dependent on Him, the true vine, on Jesus. For there to be anything good or righteous in and through our life, we have to depend on Him. We can't produce... We can't create, we can't maintain righteousness in and of ourselves. And you know what I'm talking about. Because every time you try, every time I try to do that, what happens? We fail. We fail. We come up short. We get discouraged. We get defeated. And maybe you've been down that road so much that you think, well, what's the point of even trying anymore? Don't, though, mistake... The reason for your failure in your spiritual life for being a failure on Christ's part or on God's part. When you and I come up empty, when we come up short, when we, when we just are defeated and we're, we're dragged down and we're weary and we're weak, it's not because God dropped the ball. It's because we were trying in and of ourselves to bring about and produce what only He can produce. So anything good, anything worthwhile, anything holy, anything righteous, it can't be produced or maintained in and through our lives. We can't. We can't do it. It has to come through Jesus Christ, the true vine. So the way we live a strong and a beneficial Christian life, which you're going to want to live if you're a true Christian, that's going to be a desire of yours. 
And the way we do that is by constant connection to the life of Christ flowing through us by his spirit. Just like the life of the vine flows through the branches. It's the same concept. And hear me on this. Hear me on this. Every single Christian, every single Christian has the equal ability to do that. Every single Christian has the equal ability to be completely connected to the vine, to Jesus Christ. And every Christian has an equal command to do exactly that. The command is to remain connected to the vine, to abide in him. And the word abide that Jesus used here, it means to remain. It means to be fixed. And certainly, fitting for the vine metaphor here in this passage, it means to be rooted, to be rooted. So believers, that's what we have to choose to do every minute, every single day. And we do this all through the power of the Holy Spirit, not through any power that we might think we possess not through any desire that we might have to do right, not through any other method or means. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how we're able to remain fixed or rooted. That's how we're able to remain in an abiding relationship with Christ, the true vine. Everything, everything that we try to do, no matter how good it might be, no matter how necessary it might be, no matter how beneficial it might be, everything we try to do will come to nothing unless we choose to do it through a constant dependence on the empowerment of Christ. That's what verse 5 is all about. That's why Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. There's nothing you can do outside of my strength and my power and my life flowing through you. Nothing. We need to remember that. Look at verse 8 of John 15. This kind of goes full circle now with everything that he has been saying. Verse 8, Jesus says this, My Father, remember he's the gardener, he's the vine dresser, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Remember, Bearing fruit is the proof of being a disciple of Christ. Bearing fruit is the proof of being a genuine branch connected to the vine. We can actually reverse this, reverse the order of the words in this verse. We could look at it this way. You will prove to be my disciples by bearing much fruit, and by that my Father will be glorified. We can look at it that way, turn it around that way. Again, what Jesus is saying is that the branches that abide in the true vine represent those who are truly saved. That's what he's saying. And the result of that is going to be always fruit-bearing. That's the obvious and necessary proof of being a genuine disciple of Christ. And that's the will of the Father. You want to know the Father's will for your life? You want to know what God's will is? We all do. His will is that every branch that's a part of His Son, that's truly connected to His Son, will bear much fruit, spiritual fruit, like we looked at in Galatians chapter 5. That's His will for you and for me, if we're a genuine branch. And this is true for everything. Everything in life comes back to this. Husbands, husbands, 
You want to love your wives? You want to love them well? You want to love your wives the way Christ loved the church, like you're commanded to do in Ephesians chapter 5? You really want to do that? Wives, how about you? You want to submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, like you're commanded to do in Ephesians chapter 5? Is that something that you want to have true of your life? Is that something you desire? I hope so. I hope it is, husbands. I hope it is, wives. How are you doing on that? Depends on the day, right? Depends on the moment. Whenever we depend on our strength and our ability to do that, to love our, our wives, husbands, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, we're not going to be able to do it, at least not very long. We're going to fall. We're going to fail. Wives, when you try in your own power and your own strength to submit to your husbands as you're commanded to, as unto the Lord, especially some of you more than others considering who your husbands are, you're going to find that very difficult, and it's not going to work, at least not all the time, and, and not to the maximum capacity that you could. To do either one of those things, husbands and wives, we have to choose constantly to abide, to abide, to abide. We have to choose to remain in total dependence on Christ and His power. We have to choose to remain centered on Him. Hey kids, how about you? Do you want to actually be able to obey and honor your parents as unto the Lord the way you're commanded to do in Ephesians chapter 6? Hopefully you do. Hopefully that's part of your heart. Hey dads, do you want to stop provoking your children to wrath like you're commanded to do also there in Ephesians 6? you want to stop that? you want to stop pushing their buttons? you want to stop having unnecessary standards for them that, that they can't possibly live up to? Do you want to stop being irritable when you just really have no reason to be? Do you want to stop all that? Well, the answer is the same. It's in continually abiding in Jesus Christ. It's in constant, total dependence on Him, center centering on Him, not on other people, not on other things, centering yourself totally around Jesus Christ. Believer, my fellow believer, do you want to actually have a bold and faithful witness to your neighborhood, to your family, to your workplace? Do you want to actually maybe get over some of the bitterness that you might be holding on to like right now? the grudge that you've not let go of and actually extend forgiveness to the person you need to extend forgiveness to? You want to do that? You want to be able to do that? You want to be able to say no to the same sin, struggle, or temptation that just constantly comes at you and defeats you and wrecks you? You want to finally be able to say no to that and keep saying no to that? You want to have victory over those things, whatever they may be? Do you want to stop sitting on the sidelines? in the ministry of the local church and actually jump in and start serving Christ in his body? You want to do any of those things, believer? The ability to do all that, the answer to all of that, to actually living out the Christian life the way God intends us and commands us to, the way to do that is found in surrendering and yielding to the living, reigning, indwelling Savior. By choosing to remain rooted in Him, the true vine. It's by allowing Him to live His perfect, all-powerful life in and through our lives. That's the way we do it. That's the way we do it. And I can sum it all up. I could wrap it all up, all that I just said, by saying this one simple statement. To thrive in the Christian life, 
to thrive in the Christian life, which should be your desire if you're a Christian. You should want to thrive, not just survive. And that means to be all that God has called you to be for his glory. That's what it really means to thrive in the Christian life. To thrive in the Christian life, you must, you must choose to abide in Christ. That's what you have to choose every moment, every day. Not just once and then it's over. Every single minute. Choose to abide, to remain, to be rooted in Christ, the true vine. That's the answer. That's how we do it. It's all in him and none None in us, not at all, anything we can do, no matter how much we want to. He's the answer. He's the key. He's the vine. Do you believe this? That's the question. Do you believe this? I hope you do. I hope you've already believed it. I hope you're still believing it. And I hope you will continue to believe it. Let's pray. Before I close this out, I just want to give an opportunity for someone that might be here who is honestly outside of Christ. Maybe there's someone here that has never really committed their life 100% to Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and you've done the religious thing, like you've gone to church and you've read religious books, you've even read the Bible. You listen to Christian music. So you've got the religious thing down, but maybe today the Holy Spirit has spoken to you very personally, very directly, and he has made you aware of the fact that while you've been doing those things, you've not yet fully or exclusively trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've been depending on other things. Well, that means no matter how you may look or talk, or act, if you've not committed yourself 100% to Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, then you are not a genuine branch. But the good news is, you can change that right now, right here. You don't have to continue in that way. You don't have to continue playing the game or pretending. You can get real right now, right where you sit. You don't have to talk to me. You don't have to talk to someone else. I mean, I'd love to talk with you. Other people would as well. But you don't have to do that. Right now, where you are, you can talk to the Savior. You can talk to the true vine, Jesus Christ, and you can say, Jesus, I believe you're the true vine. I believe you're the only means of life. I believe you're the only way I can really be at peace. And you're the only way I can have a relationship with the Father. You're the only way I can thrive in life. I believe that. Please, take my life. I give it to you. Jesus, be my Savior. Be my Lord. I I don't want to trust in anyone or anything else for my salvation. I'm looking to you alone. And the Bible tells us very clearly that if you do that, you are saved right there, right then. You're a new creation. And I just wonder, if I have described you, if there's anyone here that is in that category. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you up and parade you around. I just want to be able to pray for God's work in your life. Is there anyone who would say, that's me. You just described me, and I just made that decision. I just made that commitment for the first time in my life, and I just want you to pray for me. Is there anyone that would say, yep, that's me? Anyone at all? Anybody? Okay, I'm going to pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the truth of it. 
even when it comes to things that are hard to hear, it doesn't make it any less true. And thank you for loving us enough to give us your absolute truth. And thank you for giving us through your Son, the Holy Spirit, to understand your truth and to apply it. Father, we thank you most of all for the Lord Jesus himself, our true vine, the ultimate source of life, the ultimate source of the power that we need to live the Christian life that you've called us to live. And if there's anyone here who is not truly part of the vine, please, by your Spirit, don't stop working in them. Don't stop working on them. And bring them to the place of surrendering their life once and for all to Jesus Christ alone. We thank you for your work. In Jesus' name, amen.